Josh, that was beautiful. Um, it's a real blessing to have people who've spent years on an instrument and uh, can present uh, music very well. Um, well, good morning, everybody. Happy Sabbath. Apologize for my tardiness. Had some things come up this morning. Um, but praise God, by His grace, I'm here. Um, and I'm grateful to be here. Uh, it brings such a smile to my face to see all the little ones and the young people uh, at Children's Story and to hear the little voices. Um, who else is grateful that we have young people at our church? Who wants to see them get more involved? And how many younger people want to get more involved? Good. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, I've had a, a blessed week. Uh, I got to visit with uh, our Dr. Chris Bryant and got to give the maiden voyage to his sauna with him. And uh, I think he might be converting me to saunaism. And one day I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to build one because <laughs> it was remarkable. Um, anyway, thank you, Chris. <laughs> and we're glad to have Kevin back. Sorry to put you on the spot, Kevin, but I'm glad to have you back. And I'm, I know we're all thankful that you're safe here. Why don't we pray one more time before we get into God's word? Father in heaven, uh, I want to praise you as our great God and our King. Uh, you're the one who has set this world in motion, and although there's a lot of tumult and chaos in this world, you have been holding it together. That would be a lot worse without your guiding hand. We know, Lord, that there's coming a time where your hand will be removing some of its protections, and bring a climactic moment in earth's history where you return to put an end to it all and take home those who have put their hope in you. And we pray, Lord, that this morning we may be reminded that you are one to put our hope in, that you are one that we can trust, and that all we can put all our eggs in your basket, knowing that uh, you will not lose one. We uh, pray for those who in our congregation who are sick, and I just want to pray a blessing over them. And for those who are watching over the live stream, a blessing over them, Lord. Thank you for being with us this morning. May your Holy Spirit touch our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Lot this recent summer, I went on a trip, and uh, my friends and I were doing, were jumping, do some, doing some light cliff jumping. And... Some of my friends were afraid to do it. Now, I was having a blast just jumping over these little cliffs, and at some point I got the boldness to flip over into the water, and I was like, come on, guys, go for it. It's great. It's not that far, and it's just water. And they're like, no, no, no. It took about 20 minutes before I could convince them to jump in. And then we were all jumping. Then we found a higher point. And so we went over there, and I jumped, and it was great. And I was trying to encourage them, come on, guys, you did that one. It's just about 10 feet higher, no problem. You guys are going to be fine. Just the same process, feet first, same process. And eventually they jumped too. And then I started thinking, you know, I've seen other people like flip off of this height. There were some other people in this, this area. And they were, there were these guys doing these flips and twists. And I was like, that's so cool. I probably have somewhat of a capacity to do that. And I couldn't bring myself to do it. I was scared. I'd get to the edge. I'd be ready. Okay, one, two. And I'd psych myself out and be like, okay, no, 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 no. No, I need to. Um, and I thought, well, if I'm encouraging my friends to do what's scary to them, shouldn't it behoove me to do that for myself? Yeah, it's easy for me to jump. I've done it before, and... No problem. And I expect them to think the same. But I won't flip at this height. So I thought about it, and I was like, you know, if I'm not going to be a hypocrite, and if I'm going to be a good teacher, if I'm going to be a good jumping coach, I need to face my own fears. I need to take a dose of my own medicine. And so I finally rocked myself forward and just kind of leaned in and did that flip. It was probably about 20 feet. And it was a blast. It was awesome. 
And so I was able to do it from that point on, but it was still nerve-wracking every time I'd come to that edge to do that flip, but I did it because I figured it'd be a blast, and it was. <laughs> and uh, what I see in this little experience is what we're exploring is when God calls us to jump. How are we going to jump? Yeah, it might seem like a simple task, like we know what he's telling us to do, but the, the amount of exertion it takes to get, bring ourselves to that edge and actually make a decision and take the risk and go for it is another story. And so that's what we're exploring today, how God helps us come to the edge, take the jump, and how he has shown that he has taken the jump for us already. And that we are just following in his footsteps. Now I have a question for you. So in this life, there are many things that are applauded, right? There are many things that people look to as sources of credibility, indicators that you are trustworthy. It can be experience. It can be knowledge. It can be that someone else has given you the, the stamp of approval. And so people will trust you when they hire you, when they join your team, when they ask you to help them with something, there are these indicators. But there are other things that our culture looks to as indicators of trust and credibility. Now, one of those things is, for example, like wealth. If someone's wealthy, they must be successful, they must know a lot. So there's someone who deserves my respect. And so culture will just be in awe of people like Jeff Bezos who, or like Elon Musk. But there's something deeper that really makes us respect a person, and it's not their wealth. Um, there's something deeper. Now, I want to, by raise of hands, I want to get some audience participation here. What are some things that today's culture looks to as signs of credibility? Indicators that this person is trustworthy. Experience, good. The halo effect. Good looks. Education. What was that? Faith, good. Humility. Follow through. Those are some really good ones. Now, are there any that are today's society at large holds to that aren't exactly so indic truly indicative of credibility, but they look to it as, you know, oh, this person deserves my attention because money, popularity. They're just all fame. They already have a following. Sorry, charisma. Harry? Yeah, certificates. Yeah. Attire, how they dress. Which I think is one that's particularly close to home, is in our church we tend to dress up at church, but Lord knows, and we all know by experience that our, our attire doesn't exactly express our internal dress up so well. We may be still in our pajamas when we come to church internally. Good. So, in this world, what's applauded are things like wealth. Unrealistic beauty standards, charisma, connections, arrogance, show, strength. And these are the, the, the attributes that call attention, that get the news, the press, the paparazzi, that gets the generations following on Instagram and, and liking and sharing and reposting. But what's interesting is that what the general cultural at large values has zero interest in the heart of Jesus. God doesn't have any value in these things. For these means and, and tools for getting ahead, he has no value in them. He takes no delight. What the Lord delights in is those who depend on him in their limits. In their limits. These, these uh, tools, these I guess attributes I listed off, I think have become in a large part a means for our society and our culture and in our human nature, a means to ignore our limits. 
Like someone who is extra beautiful, according to standards, may feel like, ah, I don't know enough to really do something that I'm passionate about, so I'm going to depend on my looks. And I'm going to go into this profession, this or modeling or whatever, and I'm going to get by because people are pleased with that. And that's what I'm going to bank on. And, you know, there are Instagram influencers who that is where their income comes from. And they actually do quite well. Um, or people who depend on their wealth for their security. They, this world is dangerous. And so they think, well, if I can amass more wealth, I can s- procure for myself more means of getting exactly what I need when I need it for the situations that I need it for. And so we, we amass all these different attributes that give us a sense that we can overstep and transcend our weaknesses and our cans and our cannots. But the Lord doesn't use those. God has a different way. And we're going to look into that in Luke chapter 1, 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. So we're brought in this moment into the life of a woman, a young lady named Mary. And she's in a podunk town and uh, awaiting the day where she will be married to a man named Joseph. But there's a bigger story at large, a story that she's very unaware of. And that is that God is about to do something as a major step in saving humanity. The big story that she is a part of is that the world and humanity is lost to moral weakness and condemnation under God's law. And for her, what is a normal day of just being a human living in this world that has its joys and its sorrows becomes something quite astonishing. And she is faced with humanity's very hope to transcend and escape the, the issues that we have created for ourselves, beginning with Adam and Eve. So we come to verse 26, where it gives us a little timestamp. Now in the sixth month of the year, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now we'll pause there because there's a little detail that we need to take note of and that it says Luke details that Joseph is of the line of David. Now Mary is as well and what's significant about that and you probably many of you probably know this but that this is a reference to a promise God had made thousands of years before uh, this moment where God had made a promise to King David that there will always be someone from your line on the throne. So even though David messed up, and then his son would mess up, and then his son would mess up, and then the next son would mess up, and there's this line of failures and mistakes and rising and falling, there would always be someone on the throne, and that the Messiah would come through his line. Now, that's quite the promise. That's quite the promise. But this is a reference to the magnitude of God's power to fulfill his promises. And we find that the king, who is eternal, is about to be introduced to Mary as one who will become her son and who will dwell on that throne that God had promised would be occupied by David's line. So we come to verse 28 now, where Gabriel makes his grand entrance And it says, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, I've always wondered about that verse. Why was she troubled? Gabriel came in telling her, she was highly favored of heaven. Like it was a very positive message. But she was 
I guess Luke kind of gives us an insight into a little bit of Mary's personality. That even though there was a positive statement, she was skeptical. She was discerning. She was, mm, is this really a good thing? And she was deeply troubled. Now, I don't know if Gabriel was shining like the angel he was or if he, was, if he looked like a normal guy. And that was part of her trouble. That it just looked like a random guy walked in off the street telling her that she's favored by God. But at any, whatever the case is, we see Luke kind of gives us a little insight into her mind that she is thinking, is this legit? Is this real? So we come to verse 30 now. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. He re-emphasizes this point. Now, Mary's not perfect. You know, she's just like us. She made mistakes and whatnot. But here, Gabriel comes to her saying, you have found favor with God. And it's because she's found favor that she's given this great privilege that comes next. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So once again, a reference back to that promise, that ancient promise that probably many wondered if it could be satisfied. And it's, Gabriel takes this moment to praise, to wax eloquent about Jesus, his God that he's proud of, that he worships. But Mary, who seems pretty down for this, has a question that comes in 34, verse 34. How can this be, since I do not know a man? I'm a virgin. So she's wondering okay, that's cool, but how is that supposed to happen? I'm not married. I'm not in a position to have a baby. That is, we're probably months, maybe a year off from that. So how am I supposed to participate in this plan? And that's where Gabriel brings in this promise and an expression of God's power in verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And we should pause, because I appreciate that God does not dismiss our questions. He does not dismiss our wonders and our doubts and our fears. He does not discount them. He embraces them, and he addresses them. And in this case, he said, I have a plan. To accomplish something on your own is impossible, but with me is not impossible. I need you to be part of this plan in saving humanity, but you're not doing it on your own. It's something that can only be accomplished with me, and I will be there every step of the way through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we come to verse 36. He continues with more encouragement for Mary. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Now Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. And it's very clear. She's way older than, than uh, birthing age. Um, biologically, that boat has sailed. And yet, by this point, when Gabriel has come to Mary, she's not just conceived, not just a month in or two months, but six months, three months away from, from uh, labor, pregnant, to encourage Mary. And Mary will go and visit Elizabeth and find for herself that this was true. And it's just one more encouragement that God will accomplish in her what she needs to fulfill his will. Now there's something exceedingly interesting about the way 
Jesus' birth was announced compared to Elizabeth's child. Elizabeth's child is John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah, get people's hearts ready. But the announcements are very different, very interesting. There are three part points to note. And as similar as they are, they're exceedingly distinct, and they're important distinctions. So number one, John the Baptist's birth was announced in the synagogue, at the temple, actually, this cultural center of, of Israel. And that's akin to, if, it, if we were going to make a comparison, that's like the presidential election, like the, the day the president is being inaugurated at the White House, compared to, like, the county sheriff here. That's maybe a, a comparison. No one in the world knows that someone's being elected here as sheriff, except people who are here. But in this case, in uh, Jesus' case, he was being announced in an obscure Galilean village, and the people in that village didn't even know he was there. Only ones who knew was actually, like, the working class and the outcasts. It was the shepherds, and pagan uh, wise men from the East. So we have an amazing distinction there. Um, the second one is that in Elizabeth's child experience, the announcement came through a man, came through the father Zechariah. But in Jesus' experience, it involved a woman, which is, again, remarkable, because what you see is Jesus' experience is taking the most humble and unexpected character that one could imagine. Because not only is he being born in a city that no one had a positive feeling about, but two, it was supposed to come through a woman. And women generally weren't so respected in their time. If anyone was to speak, it was the man. But God is flipping that on its head. Now we have one more. Um, and now it's not a comparison between uh, these two women and their children's announcements. But it's between two Gospels. In the book of Matthew, he focuses on Joseph. But in the book of Luke, his focus is on Mary. You don't get a lot of Joseph here at all. You have Mary and her being spoken to by the angel Gabriel. Then you have her going to Elizabeth and talking with her. Then you have Mo Mary's uh, poem called the Magnificat. And these, um, this kind of reversal of what is valued is echoed in our scripture reading in Philippians, which I want to read one more time. Philippians 2, 8 to 11. And being found... In appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name. The route Jesus took to being glorified was completely polar opposite to the route anyone in this culture intends to take. No one intends to succeed through obscurity. No one intends to succeed without no one knowing their name. Most people, especially my generation, thinks that the only way to fame is to getting your face out there and everyone needs to know about you. I mean, nowadays, there are kids, teenagers, 12-year-olds, who are becoming millionaires by playing being known for playing video games well. There's competitions. They can rise to the ranks, beat everybody in the world, and then become millionaires at 12, 15, 18. And it has sparked this movement in the younger generation thinking, I want to be a social media influencer. If I'm going to be somebody in this world, I've got to be out there. Everyone's got to see me. And uh, it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. And even more importantly, it's not the way of God. The way of God is to follow his plan humbly, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up to where you need to be if you follow his plan.
plan. He's master planner. He's a king. And he knows where he wants his servants, his friends, at any given time. So we see that the problem that we have in this story is that humanity is lost. And God's solution is to bring a birth of the Messiah through Mary. But it's a little complicated because she doesn't know how this is going to work out. She's worried that it's, she's not going to be able to do it. It's not possible. And so the story develops as God brings hope. Angel Gabriel speaks hope to Mary and speaks of a way for God to supply and provide until we get to the, the final verse of this little story in verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. For with God, nothing is just a dream. But it's dependent on it being with God with God, not, not just acknowledging him, not just thinking about him, but being with him at every step, being able to say that all that I'm doing in my life right now and the way I'm trying to carry out his will is something I could do in the name of Jesus, that I can commit to him. And so we see that in this story, Jesus' birth is very, 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 very humble. And it's not something any of us could ever have planned, only the mind of God. But it enabled the richest results. There's not a single human in history who couldn't relate to Jesus. He grew up in the deepest poverty. And he was in, he was in poverty growing up. And what he was born into. He was in the middle class, just working in the carpenter shop with his dad. He wasn't in the elite religious academic circles of the synagogues. He was taught by his mother. And no one knew about him. So when he came on the scene, no one knew about his divine origins. No one knew he was Messiah. What they knew was Joseph wasn't his dad. And there's parts of, there's a conversation in the gospel where they throw that in his face. They're like, who's your dad? In other words, just kind of rubbing salt in the, the gossip wound that he was an illegitimate child. With that in mind, that, that part that people just saw him as, a, as an illegitimate child, born out of wedlock, I want to read the last, uh, one more verse. Then Mary said, this is 38, Behold the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She didn't just accept the greatest gift that one could imagine. What she accepted also was the scrutiny and skepticism of her entire culture and her town, who would now think she was a woman lying about where her child came from. And I don't even know what story she would have told people. What would have you told them? I don't know. But we do know there's a, an incredible faith step she took. That she's willing to take on that kind of um, reputation in order to carry out the will of God. Her hope was not set in the, her reputation or what people thought about her. Her hope was put in what God thought about her and what God had planned. And I think that's remarkable because that step she took into absolute humility was just following in Jesus' footsteps. A step into absolute humility, which is spoken of in Philippians 2, verse 5, which I want to read now. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant. He took the form of a servant, which is akin to a CEO just becoming an intern in his own company. And I don't know, maybe you've seen that show Undercover Boss. Anyone, anyone know what that is? Undercover Okay. Well, they have big companies, and the boss comes into a branch and puts a mustache on and maybe a, um, a toupee or something and pretends to be an intern who's just being hired. And he gets to see what life is like for all his employees or her employees, the janitor, the person who does the, the manual labor, the person at the computer, and he finds a lot of shocking things. There's one episode where the boss, she was disrespected by her fellow employees and immediately shocked that she would receive this kind of treatment from her own people have been hired. And you get the, the big grand reveal at the end where everyone and all the employers are lined up and discover that this person, Jane Doe, John Doe, was actually their, their boss. And some people are like, wow, that's amazing. And other people are like, uh-oh, man. <laughs> and, when, and some people are bold enough that when those moments of, that are embarrassing where they were rude to the boss are, uh, are asked, you know, they're asked, why did you do that? They make excuses. And they say, or they lie. And they say, no, that didn't happen. And they try to like hide it all and cover it up and just like excuse themselves. Or apologize, but you know, for some people, by that point, it was too late, and they got fired. And I, I see this. This is remarkable, even as a TV show. But how much more for the actual world we all live in, as the universe, the actual reality that the Creator God, at one moment, stepped off of heaven's cliffs and became an embryo in the body of a young lady how much trust does that take you know one moment you're looking at the face of your father and all your angels and they're singing praises and the next moment well the next moment you're crying and shifting around and it's cold and uncomfortable i like this one song um christian song where the chorus goes how many kings Step down from their thrones. How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? How many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that was torn all apart? And how many fathers gave up their son for me? Only one did that for me. It's a... It's a quite sobering. And I find so much encouragement and also in some, some fashion rebuke from Mary's response. She says, look, I am the servant now, right away. Lord, have your way in my life. I'll walk that path, come what may. And it was a path of joy to have Jesus as her child joy and yet it was also a path of deep pain because she would see that child suffer things that she couldn't help him with go to the cross she was just following in the footsteps of Jesus becoming a servant and putting her hope in God and so the question echoes to us today. Will we, as Jesus, take the form of a servant? And like Mary say, be it unto me, Lord, as you will, I'm going to walk in it as far as I know, as far as you've taught me. I'm going to let aside every weight that has held me back. I'm going to surrender to you the attitudes and behaviors and beliefs that make me think, there's another way that's better? Will we, as Christ, humble ourselves? If the God of the universe could do that, can't we? 
if he could kneel before his father and surrender his entire life. Can't we? If he could trust God in Gethsemane and his will and walk a path of suffering and separation from his father, can't we? Because not only are we called, we are enabled, we are empowered. For Jesus in Gethsemane was not alone. God sent an angel to give him strength in his weakest moment. He would have died in Gethsemane apart from the power of God. But the Lord provided so he could walk that path that repelled his soul. He was repulsed by it. Not just because it was painful, but because it was separating him from his father, which is not a good thing. And yet the path of God led him there which I think is pretty mind-boggling. And so for us, when we find ourselves in our toughest moments, when the divorce goes through, when the baby is lost, when the diagnosis you feared comes through the doctor's email, when the child you hoped would walk in the ways of Jesus takes their own path, when the hopes you had for your career get dashed when there's no opportunity. When you feel behind after maybe years of walking in your own way and you feel like everyone else is ahead and you're just stuck, in your toughest moments, all the Lord is asking for you to do is become a servant. That will exalt you in your life remarkably simple but incredibly hard because we have ways our way of life generally doesn't revolve around servitude i've heard though a lot of people who are successful and this is through social media but a lot of people i I have some pastor friends who've said the same as well say if you really want to be successful in this life Don't focus on your success. Focus on empowering people towards their success. And that is is something that that really shifted my thinking. This was in college. And so I went from thinking, how can I do X, Y, Z, to how can I help you? How can I help my friends? How can I help the people on my team be the best they can be in this ministry or in this class project? And that shift was so freeing, it brought me peace, it brought me clarity, and it allowed me to actually just think about what I needed to do and take care of it. I have another book here. I kind of like the show and tell of bringing my books here. This is called Promises for the Last Days. It's a compilation of Ellen White's writings. I just want to read a quote for you. It's about God's promises. God knows our wants and has provided for them. The Lord has a treasure house of supplies for his children and can give them what they need under all circumstances. Then why do we not trust him? He has made precious promises to his children on condition of faithful obedience to his precepts. There is not a burden, but he can remove. No darkness but he can dispel. No weakness, but he can change to power. No fears, but he can calm. No worthy aspiration, but he can guide and justify. We should take the promises of God one by one and examine them closely on every side. Take in their richness and be soothed Be comforted, encouraged, and strengthened by them. God has provided for all the comforts the soul needs. It's definitely a call to reflection. Where do we go when we're stressed? Where do we go when we're fearful? Do we become, do we withdraw? Do we become passive? Do we go to an addiction? Do we go to a person? Where do we go? 
Jesus says, all you need to do is come to me. I have the way. I have always had the way. And when we come to him, there is no cold reception of us. It is a warm-hearted delight that we come to him in. He's delighted. Absolutely delighted. Because even, no matter how many times we've made mistakes, the promise still stands in Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you to prosper you. Jesus still wants to prosper you. He knows what you did last night. He still wants to prosper you. He knows your fears. He still wants to prosper you. So he says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It's just like any, any loving relationship. A guy gets to go head over heels. He has to do everything to make sure the woman he's pursuing can trust him. Can trust in his walk with God. That he can take care of her. And conversely, she needs to love on him and support him and empower him so he knows that she'll have his back through whatever. That she'll be patient with him when he makes mistakes. But there's this mutual all-out exertion motivated by love which is really the only thing that I believe can draw us to God there's no fear no 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 uh, expectation no pressure that can do it only the love of God only the love of God and so let let this be let Mary's words of of acceptance of this call and Gabriel's promise of the power of the Holy Spirit, be what you live by this, in this life. We know that Jesus is coming soon, and there will be a time that will be very difficult. And what we have today is an opportunity to delight in him and be prepared for those moments. That we won't be shaken. That we will not be moved. It starts today. It starts by searching for him with all our hearts and just putting him first, you know. Taking time off if you need to spend time with him or with your family. You know, doing whatever it takes. And God's promise is, I'm going to carry you through. God doesn't, you know, God's like a max, master architect. There's not a single thing God builds that is shoddy or mediocre. You know, you see great buildings in Dubai or Seattle, or New York, and they're beautiful, remarkable feats of architecture. Buildings that even look like they should be falling over, <laughs> and they stay up. And we go, wow. God wants to do something even greater with our lives, and we can trust him that whatever he builds in our lives, it will be great. It will be remarkable. Though humble, it will be remarkable. Uh, there's no, no promise, obviously, that it'll be shiny. Um, but uh, there'll be no other place you wish you were. I'd like to close with a, a story uh, from one of my mentors. Uh, his name's Don McClafferty, and he does international discipleship. For a long time, he was just a regular old pastor. And then God called him, just put on his heart in his like 40s, I think, to uh, start going around the, around the world and just helping kids and everyone in between to elderly to have a deeper walk with Jesus. And he became a pastor. He moved from Tennessee to my town in, Fres in the Fresno area in California. And after two, two years or so, three years, I think two years, two years, um, God put it on his heart one night to leave to leave and go to Alberta, Canada. I hope I'm getting these stories right. Whatever the case is, they all happened. Um, even if chronologically a little off. <laughs> and so he talked with his wife and he said, hey, this is what God put on my heart. What about you? She prayed about it and she's like, same, same for me. So he gave his notice and a few months later he moved. Now it may have actually been to Tennessee first. At any rate, there was a time where it came. God called him to go to Alberta, Canada. They didn't have a house. He just said, go now. So they, they, he came to his wife, April, and was like, hey, this is what I'm impressed to do. God woke me up at 2 a.m., 
and this is, this is where I'm at. Why about you? And she's like, well, I feel this is from God. I think this is from God. This is remarkable, so let's do it. They packed up. They moved. They started driving to Canada to the border. And uh, once they got there, they were stopped. Because all along the way, they had to have some kind of like paperwork to get in that was, I think, tied to the house that they were going to be moving into. But that paperwork wouldn't have come for months. But God had told them to go, so they went on faith. And the, the Border Patrol agent comes out and explains the situation, asks all the questions, and says, hey, I, I don't know. I don't know what we can do here. Um, I think this is kind of the end of your journey for now. And so as he's walking the way, uh, walking away, Pastor McClafferty says, hey, before you go, um, just want to know blessings on you. Uh, is there anything I could pray about for you? And he stops and he's like, damn, okay. So they pray, and then he says, give me a minute. And he goes back in, and about 15 minutes of nail-biting goes by. And then he, he comes out, and he says, this is what you need. Here's the paperwork. Show to anybody who has questions. You guys are good to go. And Pastor McClafferty's shocked. He's shocked, because this doesn't happen. This is not a common occurrence. This was a very much a unique kind of exception of a time of a, a situation but the border patrol man says hey you know you said you're a pastor and you know i used to go to church it's been a few years now and uh you know i've been thinking about going back but every time i think about going back i feel ashamed you know i feel like this is not i don't know but because of what just happened which is not possible with with man this was totally from your prayer I believe God is still in my life, and I'm, I'm going to go back to church. And so Pastor McClaffrey continues on his way. And if you read his books, his little booklets, you'll find there, that was not the last story that he would encounter of God's, God's providing for his calling. Um, but I, I, I just, I, I leave that story with you because although it's like kind of magnificent and it's not exactly your starting point, um, it's just a reminder that it's, it's real. It's possible. And if you, like Mary, will say, hey, I'm the servant. I'm your servant, Lord. This is where I'm at. I know I'm not the kind of servant you deserve, <laughs> but I want to be here. I don't want it. There's nowhere else for me to go. The world has no options. Other religions have no options. There's no options in philosophy. I can't ignore my problems. I need you. Otherwise, I fall apart. I am yours. And Jesus will say, yes. You've always been mine. I'm glad you can accept that in a deeper way right now. So as we as a church band together to pray for each other and to accept our unique callings in this little town of Bonners Ferry, we will see more and more of God's power and manifest in our life. And we will have more and more testimonies and so the question is, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting on? And you might say, well, that's all great, Pastor Austin, but so what? You know, I have my own issues. You might have issues, but do you have hope? Everyone has issues. This life has issues. You can't escape issues. But why go through life without hope? So take it, take it and run with it. Be like the, the, the paralytic. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, well, I want to walk, but I can't. So Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. What a ludicrous thing to say to someone who's not walked for years and decades. But he does, this man takes the moment, he takes the chance, he takes the opportunity, he doesn't let it go to waste. Who knows if this chance will come again? And he stands, probably wobbly at first, nothing impressive, but then he jumps. And this is the promise of our precious Savior to provide for us when we, even though we're wobbly,
commit to his way imperfectly. If we are willing, he'll take care of the rest. So that's why we, unlike the world, will put our hope in the power of God. We will depend on him in our limits, not try to cover them up. Paul said about his, the thorn in his flesh, And the Lord said to me, Therefore, my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, Okay, if that's the reality, then I'm going to boast in my weakness so that the power of God may dwell in me. So, our weaknesses are actually points to get excited. You know, I, you know I've gotten more anxious over my weaknesses. But they're points to get excited. Because the Lord is faithful. He's a God of covenant. He will not let you down. He will always come through. As he did for Mary. As he did for Jesus. And as he will do for all believers at the end of time. He will come through for you today. In whatever you're going through. Nothing is too small. Nothing is too deep or dark. Um, he rejoices over you with singing. So come. Come and put your hope in those promises that he's made. Don't rest your hope on anything else. It will fail you. It'll fail you and you'll disappoint you. But the Lord does not disappoint. Jesus does not disappoint. Let's pray. God, you're so gracious for uh, blessing us with uh, these promises and these stories of people who went through challenging times and perplexities. Um, we ask, God, that you would give us a humility to receive your help and the humility to look to you as our master and our king, um, to turn over our power, personal power to you, to let you tell us where to go. Uh, I pray a special blessing over our, our congregation here and everybody on the live stream, that your Holy Spirit would just pour over them, God, and bring them peace, and align their hearts and desires with you, Lord. Sanctify all of our motives, that we can bring freedom in this world from the, the the constructs Satan has made in people's lives. We can live the truth and speak the truth. Um, use us, God. Use us to our full potential. In your full potential, Lord. We want to be your mission, your missionaries in this world, God. We want others to come to you and be freed from the lies of the devil. So, Lord, use us. We are your servants. Here we are. Take us as we are, Lord, and make us who you've called us to be. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.